What a great way to start the new year, to begin this day in worship and devotion for the Lord and to spend time with the family of God. We're thankful that you're here and looking forward to the coming year and what God is going to do in our midst as we meet together. Just let me remind you of kind of the way things are going. We'll start back up Tuesday morning with all of our normal groups that are meeting on Tuesday morning, Wednesday night during the week. Uh, Celebrate Recovery, by the way, never misses a meeting. You realize that? Every Tuesday night, we're thankful for that ministry and for what uh, they do. And so we're looking forward to getting everything back. Next Sunday, we have a special guest. His name is Frank Turek. Uh, We're able to have him because he's in New Orleans speaking at New Orleans Seminary. He is going to be speaking about uh, the gospel and the reasons why we believe the gospel. Uh, In Christian circles, that's called apologetics. Uh, But it doesn't mean we're apologizing for anything. It's taken for the Greek word for reasons. And so when Simon Peter said that you would always give a reason, a hope, an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. So I think you're going to find him very interesting and very helpful. And I think it's one of those times when you need to say to a friend or a family member, you need to hear this guy. And I would just kind of leave it at that. You need to hear this guy. And hopefully you'll be able to bring some friends and we will be able to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus the Lord. Today we're looking at our Christmas series for the last time. Some of you know I've been I've been preaching about the wonderful words of Christmas. We talked about power and uh, the angels saying all things are possible with God and with God nothing is impossible. And then we talked about Jesus as the light of the world and about the salvation and the love of God. God loved the world so much that he sent his son. And then we talked about hope and joy. But today I want to talk about the future. Because remember, this is not a story in isolation. This is the story of who we are and where we live and what God is doing and what God wants to do within us. You look at this passage of scripture and 2,000 years later, Oh, it was good. Everything was good. Not if you lived it. What did Joseph have to do? Joseph, everything changed in Joseph's life. Everything changed in Mary's life. Everything was going to be different. Here's what I want to do with you today. I want you to ask the question, what does God want my future to look like and how does he want me to respond to that life that I have because everybody here struggles. And listen to the struggles of Joseph and what happened with him. The Magi came to visit after the birth of Jesus. It was not the night of his birth. It was after. Matthew makes that very clear. Even the place where 
They were. They were in a house. Joseph had provided a place for his family. They were in a house. The Magi came, and Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says these words. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then look down at verse 19. Joseph and Mary and the child have been in Egypt for months at least, maybe for years. And then God speaks to Joseph again. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life have died. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod the Great, he was afraid to go there. Here's what we know about Archelaus. He was worse than his father. And his father had killed innocent children in Bethlehem. When Joseph learned he was in Judea in the place of his father, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Our pastoral team meets Every Sunday morning, we meet early in the morning, making sure we all know what's going on, last-minute preparation, mainly a time of prayer. So we met today, and while we would normally meet five days a week for prayer, uh, for information, for working together, we haven't done that in the last couple of weeks, as you would expect. And so we got back together this morning, and, and, and I just felt compelled overnight to, to just say, let's... Let's think about people in our congregation who are struggling. So we went around the room, about 10 of us there, and we just prayed for one family. And some of your names were called. And when we went around the room, that was just my idea. Give us one family. We're going to pray. You're going to pray. I prayed aloud. You're going to pray for that family. So we did that. But we got around the room, and there were people who were saying, wait a minute, I want to I want to put other people that we pray for. I'm convinced we could have gone around the room four or five or six or seven times and nobody would have missed a family struggling, hurting, concerned, worried about today and about the future. That's pretty much life. And I just want to ask you, what do you do 
when your plans get turned upside down. When all the dreams and hopes that you had are different. And, and remember, dreams and hopes are good things. God, God put it within us to desire those things and to have ideas. But here's what we know, that life comes along and happens and those get turned upside down. How do we handle the struggles of this life? that everybody has to different degrees and at different times, but how do we handle the struggles of life? By the way, in my prayer, I don't have to remind God, but I did remind God that if I had let every pastor talk about a struggle they're going through, all of us would have had one or more as well. How do you handle the struggles of life? How do you begin this new year saying, I'm going to make the most of it, and I'm going to do all I can for the glory and honor of God? Let me give you four things from biblical theology, from practical Christian theology, from the Word of God, and from the life of Joseph and Mary. Here are four things that you can do to deal with the struggles of life. Number one, may seem very reasonable, very practical, very evident, but sometimes I forget it. Number one is this, do what the moment demands that you do. Well, here are Joseph and Mary. They're traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary goes into labor. The child is born. Maybe, maybe you or I, maybe some of us guys would throw up our hands and wring our hands and say, what do we do? What do I do now? Well, you help deliver a baby. It's what the moment demands. And what do you do on day two? You, you find food and clothing and a job, and a place to stay. And it's so amazing about Joseph. He did all of those things. That wasn't his plans. That, those weren't his goals. Those goals, those plans got interrupted. He went to Bethlehem. He didn't mean to go to Egypt. He had to go to Egypt. He did what the moment demanded. Years ago, I told you that I made a determination I was going to pray about everything. Boy, was I naive. How hard it is to pray about everything. How, how I struggled to pray about everything, to put everything in the hands of God. And sometimes we do that kind of thing, and, and there are things we pray about that maybe we ought not to pray about. It, maybe we ought not to pray, God, should I feed this child? God, should I take care of his mother? God, should I get us a place to live? Do what the moment demands that you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Do it all to please God. Do it all for his glory, but do what the moment demands that you do. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes. It's chapter 9 
verse 10. Now, it's Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes are all wisdom literature. So it's practical truth that comes from God. But here's the part you have to remember, that Ecclesiastes is negative wisdom. Psalms, Proverbs, positive wisdom. Now, it doesn't mean that negative wisdom is bad. It's just the style in which it is written. So listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes says to do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it quickly. Do it with all your heart. Do it with everything that you have. Those are the demands of the moment. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now, if this had been in Proverbs, it probably was said, do it with all of your might and you will live long and your life will be good. Positive wisdom. But Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hands do, do it, do it with all your might because remember, you're not going to live long, so you might as well go ahead and do it. Wayland's paraphrase. It's true either way. Both parts of that is true. You live for God, you honor God, and there's going to be joy and meaning and significance that comes in life. But you don't change what we face in this world, which is sin and rebellion and disease and death. And the writer of Proverbs is making it clear. The writer of Ecclesiastes are making it clear. Do what the moment demands. And for, and for Joseph, the moment demanded that he get up and he go to Egypt. Can, you can almost imagine this, can't you? Let's say it's 2.30 in the morning. Everybody has been in bed. Everybody is sound asleep. We even got this baby to sleep. Everybody is sleeping. And in the middle of the night, about 2.30, Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, there is an angel. And the angel with urgency says, Joseph, get up. For there are those who are coming to kill the child. It was time to do what the moment demanded. And Joseph, you, can't you see them? Joseph is groggy, sleeping hard, trying to get awake, wakes up Mary, tries not to wake up the baby, tells her to get up. She's got to process it. I mean, this is what happens in your family, in my family. We got to process it. What do we do? How do we do it? They started putting together the, the few belongings that they have, but they're already in a house. So they're no longer in a cave where Jesus was born. They're in a house and they put everything together and they leave in the night. And the next verses of the scripture make it clear why the angel of the Lord said what he did and why he said, get up, and why Joseph did what the moment demanded. I admire Joseph so much. 
I mean, this is the picture of godly manhood. You, you just ought to read Joseph. You ought to think about it this way. What does this say? Maybe, maybe you're 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old male. What, what does God want me to be in life? Look at Joseph. What is he doing? He's, he's taking care of people. He's got a job. He's feeding mouths, providing clothing, getting them a place for them to live. What a beautiful picture. If you're 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way to 24, male, could I, could I kindly, gently encourage you from the Word of God to use your life productively for other people? And the, the, the word and the phrase that are important there are productively and for other people. I, I read one of the most alarming statistics that I've ever seen. In America, males 18 to 24, one-sixth of that population neither is in school nor has a job, 18 to 24. And what I would encourage all of us to do is find a work to do that is productive and that helps other people. That's the goal. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, now just think about this, they're all Gentiles, they live in a Gentile culture, and a Gentile culture was extremely immoral, and a Gentile culture didn't have a lot of the ethics that you and I take for granted because of our history of Christianity and because of Judaism before that. They had none of that culture. So Paul said to the people of Ephesus, don't steal any longer. I mean, you read that and you say, Wait a minute, Paul, you're writing to Christian people. Yes, he's writing to newly saved Christian people who have no background in the past. So he says, quit stealing, but rather work with your hands in order that you may give to others that are in need. Hear the productivity, here for the sake of other people, and for most of us, the sake of other people is going to be our own little family that God has given us. That ought to be a goal in life. Do what the moment demands. There's a second thing that we need to do in dealing with life as we face it, and that is do what God tells you to do. Now, here's what happened with Joseph. God, with Mary as well, God spoke to Mary by means of an angel. And best we can tell, she was in the physical presence of an angel. 
But Joseph, it was different. So that should tell us something, that God doesn't speak to everybody in the same way or by the same means. God spoke to Joseph by an angel within his dream. Now, God primarily does not speak to us in that way. Because that's always the question. Does God speak in that way? And the answer is no, not primarily. God is God. He can do exactly as he wishes and pleases, but primarily he doesn't speak to us in dreams. I often give thanks that he doesn't speak in my dreams. But nor does he speak primarily by angels. And why is that? Because he has revealed himself through Christ and through Christ bestowed upon us his spirit to live within us and to be in us for all times and at every time. So how does God speak to us? How do we do what God tells us to do? I want to give you three ways. First of all, by Scripture. Remember this, God never tells us to do anything that contradicts Holy Scripture. And why is that the case? It is the case because God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Scripture. And if God tells you to do something, it will be through His Spirit, and the Spirit of God is not in conflict. And so, what we find, we're going to find it in his word. And this is God's primary idea. Joseph probably uh, did not personally own the word of God in any form. Probably. It would be read in the synagogue, but he did not have it. He certainly didn't have the New Testament, of course. But you and I have Holy Scripture, and you could spend a lifetime doing nothing but taking the will of God and found in Scripture and obeying it and carrying it out. If you want to know what is the will of God, read Holy Scripture. Ask God. A second way that God confirms and reveals himself is in prayer. And it's in prayer in this way. When we say to God, God, I want to know what you want me to do. I want you to show me. God, here is this need in my life. That's where I, I came from praying about everything. Here's this decision and this need. God, I want it to be your plan, your work, your activity. Show me what you want me to do. And my prayer, Waylon's prayer is in God and make it in. I want to do it, God. Please make it a way that I can understand it and that I can do it for your honor and glory. God reveals himself in prayer, and we need to pray, and we need to spend time in the presence of God. And sometimes we need just to, to sit quietly or, or lie down and, and just listen. And God, I want to be in your presence, and I want to know what you want me to do. A third way that God reveals himself is through circumstances. Now, at this point, you're going to say, well, what circumstances? Well, I don't know. But in Joseph's circumstances, it was somebody's trying to kill this child. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if somebody meets you with a knife or in Joseph's sense with a sword, with a Roman soldier 
riding on horseback and you're on foot and he's armed and you aren't, what are you going to do? Can I tell you the will of God? Run. Now, sometimes we have to fight. But the circumstances will make that clear. So what did Joseph do? Joseph got up in the middle of the night. We're going to Egypt. And they went to Egypt. The circumstances showed him, and, and he got a job. Bible doesn't say he found them a house. I go, I'm pretty sure he found them a house. Went to Egypt. Do what God tells you to do. When, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, go back to Judea, he went back to Judea. And when he got there, the word of God and the circumstances came together. Guess what? Archelaus was king over Judea in the place of his father, Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was barbaric, a tyrant, a demagogue, a dictator, he was probably paranoid, maybe mentally ill. He had his wives killed, his sons killed. He was awful. And the Romans never deposed Herod the Great. He was always king until he died. Archelaus, his son, was worse. And after a couple of years, the Romans said, look, you cannot do this. And the Romans weren't easygoing people. So when Joseph learned that Archelaus was governor over Judea in the place of his father, circumstances are telling him to go to Nazareth. And the word of God lines up and he does that. Do what God tells you to do and seek him with all your heart. Don't seek it selfishly. God, this is what I want to do. Would you do this for me? No, do it. God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want you to show me your way and do what God tells you to do. Third thing is this. You, you do what the, the moment demands. You do what God tells you to do, and you, do, you live each day fully and completely for the glory of God. Because every day belongs to God. Remember the psalm says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And most of the time, here's kind of what we do. I put the emphasis on this is the day. And, and that's a proper emphasis. It's just not the only emphasis. And I put the emphasis on, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that's proper. It's not the only emphasis. What's, what's the part that ought to be? Which the Lord has made. So it's from God. It's not my day. It's his day. And you live this day for the glory of God. And you live, live it fully. Because I have no idea about tomorrow. I got plans, but I don't know what's going to hold or the day after or the day after that. I've got plans for far into the future, but I don't know anything about those, about what's going to happen. 
This is the day, this is the only day that I have. About two years ago, and Martha and I started using a little phrase together that's been very meaningful in our lives. We started saying, this is the one precious day that we have. Let us make the most of it. Because you know that worry and fear and discouragement can take today's joy. Worrying about the future can take the joy out of today. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. When you get to tomorrow, there'll be so much stuff for you to worry about. You just deal with today. You make the most of this one special day. This precious day that God has given us. This day that that on New Year's Day we worship together. We meet together as the family of God. We, we fellowship with one another. Even though we don't know even close to a majority of the people in the room, we, we are with people who love God, who know God, who follow God, who want to be like God. Nobody perfect, but we get to be a part of that. The, the thing I think about Joseph is this. What God was saying is, Joseph, you don't have to be in Nazareth or Bethlehem or Jerusalem. Even in Egypt, you can live life the way God designed it. You can live it to the fullest. Here's the way, maybe, Joseph could have said, you know, all of my life, we don't know what happened to Joseph. We assume he died sometime between the time that Joseph, that Jesus was 12 and that Jesus was about 30 and started his ministry because he doesn't show up after age 12. And so the common assumption is, and that would have been typical for that day, the common assumption is that he had died. But let's just put ourselves in Joseph's mind. And Joseph is nearing his death, and he looks back on his life, and he just sees all of it. He sees the angel who said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He, he remembers that angel who sent him to Egypt, and he says to God, God, I was scared to death that day. That would be normal. That would be exactly what we think. Hey, I was scared to death that night. I didn't want to go to Egypt. But God, some of the best and happiest and most fulfilling days of my life were living and working in Egypt, providing food and clothing and shelter for my family, knowing I was living for you. That's what God wants for all of us. And here's what I've learned in my life. To be in the will of God is to be at peace, at joy, at contentment. And even though the, word does, the Bible doesn't use the word happiness, to be happy because we live each day fully for God. 
So how do we deal when life throws us a curveball? How do we live when life is very up and down, not the way we plan for it to be? We do what the moment demands. We do what God tells us to do. We take this one day and we fill it full of meaning and joy and we, we live in the day. The fourth thing is, is that we exalt God in all that we do. And this becomes the key that we put God first, we put him on the throne, that we do everything for his glory and his honor. Here's what Paul said to the church at Colossae, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all for the glory of God. In other words, let God be involved in your work and in your family and in all of the things around you. Let God be involved. And when you do that, I really believe you will be like my imaginary view of Joseph, that you will look back over your life and say, even though these were hard times, I see how God was working. I see what God was doing. And because you exalted God and lifted him up, and those were meaningful times. Exalt God in everything you do. So that becomes the resolution for the church, for the people of God, for this new year, that I would exalt God in everything that I do and, and take it day by day. I, you know, I, I would really wish that you would read the Bible through this year, but I've quit emphasizing reading it through this year. Because I am so goal-oriented and I am so driven, I got to read it through this year. Whether I understand any of it or not, or whether I obey any of it or not. So I, I'm now to the point of saying, why don't you just make it the goal? The goal that I would read Scripture every day. And I would put the emphasis on this day. But that would be a great thing. And, and think about about prayer. Think about the people you work with. How can I show them Christ living in me? Maybe you would take some spiritual markers and make those your goal, that I, I want to start giving in this new year. I, I want to find a small group Bible study. We have those on Sunday morning here at church called Connect Groups. I, I want to witness to the people in my household, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. Exalt God in everything that you do. Not too long ago, I read about a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. He died in the late 60s, early 70s. He was an English professor at Oxford University in England what has to be probably without any argument at all, the most prestigious university in the world. And he was an English professor, but he was a devoted Christian. Before they used the term apologist, he would have been a Christian apologist. During World War II in England, he was on the radio every day, and many, many English people say that C.S. Lewis helped them get through the war and the blitz over London and that he was the reason for doing that. Well, this was C.S. Lewis 
And he said when the war began, 1939 in England, he said there was this whole group of young men who had goals for all of their lives, and all of a sudden, every one of their goals was chopped off. I mean, what was their future going to be? Was there even going to be in England? Would they live through the war? What were they going to do? He said that he advised the young men of England to not get caught up in what they had lost, what had been taken from them, or to get caught up in goals that were far out in the future, but to get all engrossed in what he calls small work, doing what you know for today and doing it for your best. And C.S. Lewis says there is a lot of meaning in doing small work. And that's what I want to ask you to do today for the year. God, I want to exalt you in all I do. I want to please you. I want you to lead me, and I want to be obedient and faithful unto you. Think about all the places we go, school, work, home, neighborhoods, recreation. God, I want to please you in all that I do. Do that and live this day for him. And when the next day comes, if it comes, use it for him. And it'll be a meaningful and significant year. I want to ask you to pray with me, and I want to ask you to make that decision. God, I want to exalt you today and every day that you give me. And I want to make a commitment. There's something very significant about making public commitments. And that's one of the reasons why we invite people to walk to the front, to, to, to make a public kind of commitment. There's something that, that seals it and gives it significance to us. So I want to ask you to do that. Stand with me. I'm going to pray at the conclusion of my prayer to be time for you to come. The pastors will be here at the front. God, we thank you for your great love and devotion for us. We thank you that, God, you are so practical about our lives. You know that we're made of dust. You know what our lives are like, and you give us examples, and you give us teaching that shows us how to deal with the struggles of life. God, please draw us now closer and closer to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.